Hey, hey, hey. Hello, you all right? Yes. Oh, wasn't that great? Lovely. Uh, thank you for your word, Israel and Dan. Um, amazing. Looking at the front row, I think I didn't get the memo about the green shirt this morning. Come on, looking very Chris- Christmassy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, thank you. Wonderful. Yes. No, I'm not going to. Uh, it's, not my, it's not my style. Okay, we're going to go straight into uh, the word this morning, Matthew chapter 5. You know we're in the Sermon on the Mount at the moment, and it starts in Matthew 5. We're going to start actually at uh, verse 43. Uh, no, no. Uh, would you mind? No. I'm just... That's not the right thing. There we go. There we go. Yeah, Matthew 5, verse 43. Uh, It says this, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Don't worry about Noah. I love having noise in the background. It makes me feel at home. (laughs) I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So there's my message today. Be perfect like God. Have you got it? In that case, we're done. Amazing. Great. Be perfect. We can go home and have a nice lunch. Okay, so... So in this room, let me ask you a question. In this room, other than my wife, Fru, who is perfect? No, no, not so much. No, okay, no, okay, me neither. So perhaps we need to unpack this a little bit further. So we're in this series, uh, Messages from the Mountain, looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And over the past few weeks, we've had various people teaching us. We've had um, Megan, who came a few weeks ago, and she delivered a great word about being salt and light. Dan, last week, he talked to us about being, uh, having a solid foundation, and it was a great word. Uh, we've got JJ next week. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And through the week after that. I'm trying to work out if that was louder or quieter than the JJ cheer, but it was good. But today we've got me. I'll take that. I'll take it. Um, And my title for today is, no, what's going on here? It's all gone wrong. It's all gone pear-shaped. There we go. It's got to B-E-E-E-E-E. Perfect. There we go. It's a, for those of you who are maybe younger than 15, this was a song back in the 90s uh, by Fairground Attraction. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. It's got to be perfect. Yeah, great. So there's my title. It's, uh, well done. Now, I'm definitely not perfect. And I think I've been thinking about why that is. And I think it's because I'm a middle child. Okay, we were talking about this in my house this week. Is anyone else here a middle child? 
Yeah, there's a few of us here. Um, and there's actually a syndrome that we get to blame our badness on, isn't there? Middle child syndrome, yeah? Which is good. It's always good to have a syndrome to blame stuff on. And I'm a middle child. And because if you're a first child, then your parents, they, they dote on you, right? They, they do everything by the book. You get all new clothes, you get new pushchair, you get new bottles, you get new car, you get new everything, and you're just loved. And, and you grow up thinking that you're the best thing since sliced bread if you're a first child. If you're the last child, your parents treat you like the baby, yeah. right? You know this. Uh, for the whole of your life, you get treated like uh, you're the baby. Your older siblings, if you ha- obviously you do have them if you're a last child, but they look after you and they let you get away with anything. Your parents are more relaxed with you and you grow up thinking that the world is going to provide everything you need because you're the baby, <laughs> right? Am I right? The middle children are pretty much ignored, all right? And you only have to look at the photo albums to see that this is true. So the first child, there's videos and photos. If you're a certain generation, there's, there's suitcases in the loft filled with photos of you as a baby and videos, right? And, and if you're the last child, again, there's videos on your phone and on, on the cameras and everything. If you're the middle child, you're lucky, oh, there's, and I've got an old passport of you, photo of you somewhere around here. I think it's in the drawer in the kitchen, but, but that's it. And that's why middle children, to stop being ignored, we tend to be a bit naughtier. That's my excuse, right? And I'm, and I'm sticking with that. That's why I was naughty, mum. Actually, you were a middle child as well, and that explains a lot, right? (laughs) Suddenly, it makes sense. Now, I'm just saying, I'm not complaining, I'm just saying, I'm a middle child, I'm not perfect, now you know why. Jesus, let me see if I can bring this back now, all right? Jesus wasn't a middle child, he was a first child, but he did live in this kind of middle space between the old covenant passed down to Moses, and the new covenant that he ushered in. So he was in this strange space in the Gospels. He was alive. He, he was part of the old covenant. He adhered to it. Uh, he, didn't wanna, he wasn't uh, abandoning it. He was part of it. But he also knew that his role was to usher in something new. He was going to be the bridge between the old covenant and the new covenant. And in this bit of the Bible that we're looking at, the Sermon on the Mount, we can see that this is true. Um, Now, I don't know if the Sermon on the Mount was a a specific singular moment where Jesus actually stood on a mountain at a certain time and delivered all this. I expect there was a mountain thing going on, but I also think that a lot of the teaching we find in the Sermon on the Mount, I expect he taught at other times as well, uh, because it's good stuff. And if you've got a good message, you might as well deliver it again and again, right? So one example of this foreshadowing of the new covenant we find in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Jesus, he puts a new spin on familiar uh, laws and traditions. So um, he will say, uh, you know, you have heard it said. As in, your entire life, the people you trust and respect have told you this. For example, he said, uh, you have heard that it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Or, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. And 
you know, the people who were listening, they had heard that. It's, it's, we find this particular one in Deuteronomy 19. It says, uh, show no pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Uh, this was part of the old, the old covenant. You have heard it said this. And when the rabbis of the day were saying this, they were, you know, it was their job to take scripture and to interpret it and expand it and explain it so that the people would have a deeper understanding of what it's meant. They would say, you have heard it said, eye and eye from tooth to tooth. And the reason you've heard that is because this. The reason it's important is because of this. And the way you should live this out is like this. That's how they would explain it. What they wouldn't do was to say, you have heard it said such and such, but I tell you, you can't say that. You can't say that as if, as if what we've heard is wrong. This is, this is the law of Moses. But Jesus did. He said it. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, whoo, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. This is radical and totally different. Now, I don't use social media very much, but a couple of weeks ago, it's mainly because I don't understand it, all right? It's not that I'm great or anything, I just don't get it. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a Twitter notification appeared on my iPad, and I clicked on it. Oh, man. Uh, so this Twitter, it was... Somebody who I follow had, had liked this other post, and, and so the, it, this was the other post that I was receiving, and it was a bit of a scathing attack on, on the government and Brexit and on the handling of the pandemic, and it was vicious, and it was hate-filled, and it was intense. And, and I scrolled down, and there were people who had commented, some people who agreed with this this hater and added their own hate to it. Other people who disagreed with the hater and hated on the hater and hated on the people who were hating. And it was just, just filled with hate. And I got scrolling down and I got, I got sucked into the rabbit hole. I, I didn't write anything, but I was getting more and more wound up by all this. You know, I'm, I'm not saying political here, but I'm just by all the hate by all this vitriol just really going for each other. And I'm going, gosh, this, I went, don't be hateful, stop it at once, stop, you know, <laughs> kind of, I hate this. <laughs> I wasn't having loving thoughts to the contributors. There wasn't a lot of turning the other cheek. There was a lot of eye for eye and tooth for tooth. And it's our first response so often, isn't it? You do this to me, then I'm going to do this to you. You say that to me, I'm going to say that to you. It's kind of human nature. And we know where this approach leads, don't we? We know it, it leads to hate and conflict and dysfunction and uh, destruction. But Jesus' way was calling humankind to a better place to a better standards. And as difficult as it is for us to turn the other cheek, if you'd have been a first century Jew listening to Jesus talking about this, man, this was off the charts. This was ridiculous. These were a people struggling under Roman occupation and oppression. 
This wasn't just strange. This was unbiblical. Because if you're familiar with Old Testament stories, we know that Israel never turned the other cheek. Their hero, great hero Joshua, who led the people into the promised land, he wasn't a cheek turner. David, he had so much blood on his hands that God didn't let him build the temple. This was crazy unbiblical. And the people who were listening to Jesus, they actually wanted more blood on their hands. They wanted Roman blood. And in their thinking, the Messiah that was going to come was going to be the one to lead them in this. But Jesus meant it. And he had some other things to say as well. Again, like that passage we read at the start, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor. It kind of continues the same idea. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. And then he finishes that with, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The standard isn't good. Good. The standard isn't good. The standard isn't, isn't good. Jesus didn't call us to be good. He's calling us to perfection. But before we all get kind of bummed out with this because he's calling us to an impossible standard, which he is, by the way, it's an impossible standard. There's no way on earth that we can reach perfection on earth. But before we give up, let's unpack this and see where Jesus is coming from. He had many, Jesus had many interactions with lots of different people. Some people came to him with an authentic need. They needed healing. They needed deliverance. They needed help in some way. Other people came to Jesus with, with questions of life because he was a great teacher. And he seemed to understand things. Other people came uh, to try and uh, get one over on Jesus, you know, with, with questions trying to trap him, trying to trick him, uh, trying to uh, get him into trouble with the people or with the Roman authorities or with the religious leaders. Um, Jesus was pretty adept at handling these questions. And there's this one guy, a man that the Bible calls a rich young ruler. He's called the rich young ruler, who came to Jesus uh, trying to justify his own goodness, his own righteousness. But he came in disguise, really. He disguised it as a perfectly reasonable question. Jesus saw through it. But maybe there was a bit of a part of this rich young ruler guy that actually was also seeking. Because it tells us that he, he went away sad, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. So this guy was rich. He was young. He was a ruler. The fact that he was rich is important because it, the people would look at him and think, oh, this is a good guy. This is a guy, if he's rich, it obviously means he's blessed by God. Rich people were favoured by God. That's why they were rich. This guy is young. He's got his whole life ahead of him. And he's, he knows the scriptures and he's obeying the scriptures. He's, he's also a ruler. He's, a, he's got influence. He's an influencer. In today's language, he might have like a million followers on Instagram. This guy is an influencer. All right, He's a rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus. And he asks him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question. It's a great question, isn't it? From a rich young ruler, from someone who has it made in this life, who has nailed it. I expect this guy, he was a smart cookie. He had a good idea in his head about Jesus, what Jesus was going to say. 
I suspect he was fairly confident in himself that he's got, he's got this nailed. Because he's good. Jesus doesn't immediately answer the question. He goes off track a little bit. He says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. What? No, Jesus, hold on. You're focusing on the wrong part of the question. This is the important bit, the eternal life bit. Why are you focusing on what I called you? Good teacher, that was just me honoring you. You're a good teacher. But hold on a minute. Hold on. Did you say, did you say no one is good? No one is good except God? I know some pretty heavyweight theologians and leaders who would disagree with you there, Jesus. Now, I suspect that this man had already connected goodness and eternal life. Goodness and eternity. And Jesus has just thrown that idea under the bus. And it's a pretty standard idea, right? This, uh, most religions and worldviews would adhere to that whole good life, being good, and eternal life, that connection. Most people would, would adhere to that and would go with that. But Jesus is not interested in goodness. He goes on. So why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. He's just picking out all the big ones. You know, the Ten Commandments. You know, bam, bam, bam. You know all this, right? You know the commandments. And you go, yes, Jesus, at last, something I can relate to. A list of rules to follow. And by the way, Jesus, I've done this. I've got this. I've obeyed all these rules since I was a little kid. I've got this. So, have I done it? Have I made it? Obviously, I've made it in this life, but have I done enough for eternal life? Have I, have I, am I, have I reached good enough? Tell me. Come on, tell me. Hit me. Tell me I've made it. I know I'm not perfect, but tell me I'm good enough, right? I wonder how many of us are like this rich young ruler, where in our minds we've got this scale of goodness and here we've got kind of downright bad are you laughing at my picture it's a great I've got perspective and everything I work really hard on this we've got downright bad and up here if you can't read that says perfect all right somewhere off in the distance and in our minds maybe we place people along this line we think oh yeah my old Sunday school teacher he was great so I reckon she's up here somewhere and then and then you've got my, my nan oh what a lovely woman what a lovely she should be up here as well and then we've got our mother Teresa gosh wow she, she's up here right she's so close to there and then we've got I don't know, Genghis Khan, I read about him in history, he was, he was down here somewhere. He was kind of, and we kind of place people, and maybe ourselves somewhere along this line, this, on this scale of goodness. And we know perfection is kind of impossible to reach, but we think there must be somewhere on this line that's good enough. Do you like my little golf flag? Yeah, somewhere along this line is, is good enough. And if I can just make sure that I'm good enough, then everything will be all right. Maybe it's got to be slightly more than halfway so that my good stuff outweighs my bad stuff. 
And again, this is, I think, the worldview that most religions and, and philosophies would kind of go with. Because it makes sense from a human perspective, doesn't it? If you're good, you get goodies. If you're bad, you get baddies. Yeah. But the kingdom of God is different. Let me pop that bubble. The Bible tells us that our righteousness, our good acts, are like filthy rags. Whew. Wow, it's a bit harsh. And Jesus is about to drop a truth bomb on this man. So the rich young ruler is confident in his rule keeping, in his goodness, but he just wants a bit more clarity. He just wants to be sure. Just so there's no confusion here, Jesus, I've kept the rules. Is there anything else that's missing? Just so I can tick that box and kind of go away happy. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. There's that word again, if you want to be perfect. So Jesus, hold on a minute. You've just said that no one is good, but now you're saying the standard is perfect? I thought perfection was at the end of this goodness line. And by the way, I never said I wanted to be perfect, Jesus. I just wanted to know what good enough look like, looks like. Where is good enough? If perfection is the standard, who can be good enough? Who can be good enough? And that's the right question, isn't it? It's the, it's the question that the disciples asked Jesus straight after this interaction. They said, well, who, who can do this then? That sounds impossible. I'm, I must have misunderstood Jesus. Can you just explain it again? Because it doesn't seem quite right. You said no one is good. The standard is perfect. In order to inherit eternal life, I've got to be perfect. What am I going to do? I must have got something wrong. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. You understand perfectly. It's impossible. From a human perspective, good enough isn't good enough. And perfect isn't attainable. The perfection that Jesus is talking about is something different. We have to move it from the scale and put it in a little box by itself because it's a totally different thing. It's a totally different thing. It needs its own chart. And it's not something that's on a scale. You're either in the box or you're not in the box. You're either in it or you're out. And Jesus said, getting into this box is impossible with man, but it's possible with God. It's the only way. And when Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, he's not giving us a formula. It sounds a bit like a formula, doesn't it? He wasn't giving us the formula, uh, giving everything you have to the poor. That's just the, the one thing that was in the way of the rich young ruler following Jesus fully. That was the one thing that was in his way. In each of us, there might be a th one thing. What's that one thing that's preventing us from fully following Jesus? You know, it could even be your goodness. If you, want to be, if you want to be perfect, then come follow 
me? That's the answer. But what is in the middle? What's in that middle bit for you? For the rich young ruler, it was his possessions. He couldn't, he couldn't see beyond them. But what is it for us? What do we need to put into this middle bit for ourselves? Goodness and perfection are mutually exclusive things. Yet people spend their lives trying to work themselves up this scale. Thanks, Dan. What is impossible with man is possible with God. I haven't mentioned the movie today. It's, it's time. There's a great movie called Jerry Maguire. Anybody know it? Tom Cruise, Rennie Zellweger. Yeah, and, and you know, they're trying to get their relationship going. And Tom, Tom, I'm going to call him Tom. Tom does something bad, all right? And he's trying to get back with Rene. I'm on first name terms, don't worry, it's fine. Uh, and he looks up at Rene. He's, trying to, he's, he's delivering this great speech and he utters that immortal line. You all know what it is? He says, you complete me. Get me a bucket, right? It's really, it's one of those moments. You complete me. The rich young ruler, he wanted to follow God. He did. He wanted to inherit eternal life, but he looked at his wealth every day and he said, you complete me. Without you, I'm not enough. The Pharisees, they looked at their self-righteousness every day and they said, you complete me. What are we looking at? What are we getting our completion from? What's, what do we think is completing us? What would we be unwilling to give up? We might, maybe we look at our charitable giving and we say, you complete me. Or we look at our flashy car. Or we look at our job. Or we look at our image. Or we look at our Instagram or Facebook likes and we say, you complete me. And maybe Jesus is saying, oh, come follow me fully. Are you prepared to give that up? To follow me fully? This word, perfect, is actually the Greek word uh, teleos. It's an interesting word. It actually means perfect, or it means complete, or it means fulfilled, or it means finished. And those things that we look at and say, you're what makes me perfect, you're what makes me complete, you're what fulfills me, they don't. Only Jesus, only through God can we get into this box. New Testament scholars for centuries have debated the significance of Jesus' last words on the cross. He says, it is finished. It's that word again. It's from the same root word. It is finished. It is complete. It is perfect. Now we know that Jesus wasn't finished because he rose again on the Easter Sunday. So maybe... He was saying in his final moments, he was announcing to the world that the old covenant he came to fulfill was at last fulfilled. 
And through the shedding of his blood, a new covenant, a better covenant, a broader covenant was, was being established between God, between God and anybody who would choose to participate. A new covenant that doesn't require people to be good enough because good enough isn't good enough. A new covenant that doesn't need constant sacrifices in order to make us right with God because the one perfect sacrifice did that for us. Paved the way for us to be eternally right. A new covenant that demands perfection and then pays the price of perfection and enables us to be perfect. Not because of what we do, but because of what he did. Because of grace. In my... Um, Daily devotionals uh, a few weeks ago. I, I, use, I was reading a book by Oswald Chambers and my days, daily devotionals, and he wrote this statement. And rather than trying to put it in my own words, I'm going to read what he says because I, it's just wonderful. He says this Beware of thinking of our Lord as only a teacher. If Jesus Christ is only a teacher, then all he can do is frustrate me by setting a standard before me I cannot attain. What is the point of presenting me with such a lofty ideal if I cannot possibly come close to reaching it? I would be happier if I never knew it. What good is there in telling me to be what I can never be, to be perfect, to be pure, to do more than my duty or to be completely devoted to God? I must know Jesus as my saviour before his teaching has any meaning for me other than that of a lofty ideal which only leads to despair. But when, but when I am born again by the Spirit of God, I know that Jesus Christ did not come only to teach. He came to make me what he teaches me I should be. He tells us what he should be, and then he makes us that. That's grace. He tells us to be perfect, and then he makes us perfect. Isn't that amazing? So what I want you to take away today, striving for goodness isn't the answer. We don't get to be better Christians by working on our goodness. We become better Christians by accepting our perfection through the death and resurrection of Jesus by his grace and working on our relationship with him, letting him cleanse us from those things that prevent us from following him fully. I want you to feel challenged by this proposition, just like the rich young ruler was. What is the one thing that you think makes you complete, that if Jesus asked you to take that away, you would struggle? Try it. Be like Paul when he says, I count all these things that I thought made me righteous, I count them all a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. I want you to feel hope as you let go of goodness and embrace perfection. I'm done. Amen.